This is Ben Wyman from the Dillinger Escape Plan, and you're listening to Signal to Noise. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 34 of the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and I have with me another special guest this week. His name is Bob. Bob, introduce yourself, man. Hey, this is Bob Kunz. Uh, For any family or older friends that may listen, uh, they know me as uh, my nickname, BJ, but um, been working with Aaron for the past couple years. We've partnered on a few projects and been bugging him to come on the show, so I'm happy to be a guest. Yeah, man. So it was funny because um, after I did the the last episode, episode 33, with everybody, um, Bob hit me up on Instagram. He's like, hey, man, when do I get to be a guest? I'm like, well, what do you want to talk about? So we kind of came up with a few topics we're going to talk about. And uh, a little bit more backstory on Bob. Bob's brother, Brad, is the reason that I use the hashtag Brad Coons built my hot rod on some of my Instagram posts when I'm posting different things with effects. Because um, Brad's brother, no, Bob's brother, Brad... <laughs> Seriously, did your parents purposely make it make a song twister here? This was their goal right there, and you just accomplished it. <laughs> like, holy cow. So Bob's brother, Brad, say that five times fast. Um, he played guitar. He was in a metal band, and Bob did the graphics for it, and that's kind of our topic tonight. So why don't you just start talking about that? Like, So was that when, when you did Brad's record, was that one of the first times you did an album cover or album art, or like how'd that go? Yeah, so just a little bit of background on how that all started. So at the time um, when my brother was in a band, he was in a real aggressive, almost like a hardcore style uh, type of music uh, for a band called End of Humanity. And at that time, I was probably a junior in college. And uh, in college, I took uh, graphic design uh, at a local school, LaRoche College in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, at that time, my brother knew what I was doing and I was at the point where I was ready to take on some projects and he approached me and said, Hey, can you design our, um, album cover, the inserts, uh, the back part of it. This is when CDs were right at their boom period. Um, so CD design was very important to, uh, what a band's trying to communicate to their audience and newer audiences. So, that was the first time I learned, you know, how to lay out a complete uh, CD cover at the time. That's where we were focused on with the inserts from start to scratch and uh, just made it for them and helped them uh, with their look as they distributed to, um, you know, they, they did a lot of at concert distribution. Um, so anytime they were at their shows, they brought the CDs along with them. So. You want to give the fans something that matches the music they're hearing or else there's an obvious disconnect uh, because, uh, like myself, a lot more people these day and age is, uh, is more individuals. They need a visual um, to understand you know, what they're actually getting into. So trying to make that communicate what they just heard on stage is very important in my view. So and I love the point you're making there about the visual because if you think back, I mean, at least from – from when I became a music consumer, we'll say. Um, like, the visual on the album cover has always been very important. And you're right, there are times where I bought the album cover, I'm like, this doesn't look anything like these guys sound. You know, and as ridiculous as that sounds, like, like that's that's important. Like, you, 
you, you look at images, you form an idea in your head, and you think that's what a band should sound like. And so that's what Bob and I here want to talk about tonight, is just kind of like how important graphics are and all those sorts of things. Um, but first, I kind of want to, want to touch base on this. So um, Bob turned me on to this documentary, and we've been talking about documentaries back and forth here for, wow, probably a couple months now, right? Um, yep. And it was the um, all th- was all things must pass the rise and fall of Tower Records. So Bob, why don't you lead us off on that? Yeah. So um, as part of my TV package, I have Showtime, and and their their Showtime to Go app, which is awesome. It gives access to all their movies, documentaries, and I'm a big documentary fan. So I happen to be going through and um, you know just looking through and reading the descriptions and. You know, just reading it caught my eye. I'm like, man, I never really heard of this, but it had to do with first of all music, which big music fan, um, and decided to give it a go and um, put it on. Just put my headphones in and just got lost in it. Um, I can't ever say that I remember necessarily shopping at Tower Records, but that's not really important. You learn the history of how Tower Records started from basically in the back of his uh the owner russ solomon's uh father's pharmacy really yeah that cracked um, me and up, how, man. yeah and how it just exploded from reselling uh you know just old one song vinyls back in the day and how they knew okay this is going to be uh, a full-fledged business and, and the great thing about it is you learn about tower but really it shows the rise and fall in the waves of the music industry which you know, I lived uh, and grew up right through really the boom period of, of the CDs. And I mean, at one point right before the downturn hit, Tower Records was turning, I think it was a billion dollars in profit at their max. Um, and that was really at the boom of the CD period. Um, so it was just an awesome documentary. And that's when I reached out to you, knowing that you're a music fan as well, to say, hey, man, even if you don't know Tower Records, you need to watch this documentary because it, it's just it's just a great story. I recommend anybody that's a fan of music period, what, regardless if they know tower records or not to give it a watch. And it's just a great, I think I've watched it like 15 times in the two months that I brought it up to you. So, yeah. And, and I've watched it a couple of times since you brought it up to me. And so here's a couple of things I found neat. So tower records, like I experienced them when I was in um, Tennessee, there was actually a tower records in uh, the Opry Mills Mall. And then, of course, they went out of business, and I was kind of heartbroken. But um, when they were there, I shopped there probably every weekend because it was just a cool store. And, like, when you when you watch the documentary, you see what they were going for, and you realize that they always achieved it in every decade. Now, so speaking of decades, real quick. So, Bob, I'm going to be 45 here in December. I think we're about a decade apart, right? Or you're, in your, you're still, like, in your mid-30s, right? Uh, 32, but we're, we're close. Oh, so early 30s. Okay, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so you're a, a good bit younger than me then. All right. <laughs> so so when you say you came up in the CD boom, like that's really when you were in your, like the heart of your music consumption would have been when CDs were everywhere, right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great call and it's something I've been thinking of as we've, um, you know, been setting up to talk because I remember your last conversation uh, with Bruce, Mike, and the rest of the crew, you sort of asked their uh, demographic and how they began listening to music. And really, my musical taste changed when sort of CDs blew up. So what I mean by that is, just like any kid, you're probably going to be into softer types of music, um, uh, more dance, I guess, related type of music, you would say. And then right as I got towards 
uh, my pre-teens going into my early teenage years is uh, when my dad, who's another music lover and shared his love of music with me, I think that's where I got it from, uh, let me listen the, to the Black Album from Metallica. And that shifted right then and there my whole type of music that I love. And it's been that way um, since uh, all the way up till today and, and moving forward. It's the type of music I love. And that's when I became old enough. When you start working your first jobs, you have this spend money. Okay, well, I've, I heard this music and my friend mentioned this type of band. So I would just go out and constantly be buying you know, CDs uh, at, at any music store I could get my hands on it. And that's when I you know, started loving hard rock, heavy metal, that type of music. And CDs were it. I mean, that's really what they pushed at that point in music stores. And, and that documentary does a great uh, depiction of showing when they really made the move from vinyl cassette and then they want to cd there was a lot of hesitation to move directly to cds because it was so new but it really outlined that russ solomon and tower records was at the forefront of really pushing cds as the the new way to listen to music and all the benefits that it offered so that was my generation right there is is right in that boom period of cd sales taking over as the number one way to consume music well that's what i was gonna gonna point out is like See, you know, when I when I was coming up, like CDs were still just kind of like this, uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, they hit. But I mean, watching that Tower Records documentary, those guys, you know, like you said, they were hesitant, but they they just they dove in it, they dove in it full force, and almost overnight, everything took over with the CDs. Right now, here's something that I got to touch on real quick that I find interesting. So, for me, the Black Album signified the end of all things heavy and the end of Metallica. <laughs> and for you, it was just the beginning. And I have to point out to the listeners here that you've got some serious street cred because you were not just at one Orion Festival. You were at both of them. So you want to, you want to talk about those real quick and we'll come back to Tower. Yeah, certainly. So yeah, the Black Album at my age was the beginning because as everybody knows, it's not just one of the po- most popular metal albums. I mean, it's one of the biggest albums, period. Yeah, regardless really. of time, yeah, regardless of music genre, I mean, it's one of the biggest and still is like a top seller on the Billboard 200 to this day. It's it's like in the top 30s, I believe, even week to week. So I mean, it was huge. So that exposed me to that type of music. And then as you start getting into it, you backtrack into their earlier catalog. And that's when I became a fan of Kill em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, uh, and Justice for All, all the way up through their catalog. So uh, I grew up with, and I'm still best friends with a, a buddy I grew up with. His name's Dan. Um, always big Metallica fans and never saw them live. It was one of those bucket list items. And he sends me an email and says, hey, have you do you know what this Orion Festival is about? Metallica's come in to Atlantic City, which is about, I'd say, maybe an eight-hour drive from us. I said, no, what what do you have on it? And he sent me the link to it, and I started reading, and the hook was they're going to play two nights. They're going to headline both nights, and the first night they're going to play Ride the Lightning the entire way through, and then the second night they're going to play the Black Album all the way through. So it was like, boom, you, you've got our money right there. And so we put the plan in place to make the trip down to Atlantic City. And that's one of those like times in concerts where you hope it's everything it is and then it exceeds it. Um, not only seeing them live, but we have so many stories. And me and my buddy Dan still talk to them to this day. And that, that's the great thing about music is, is you get those types of stories. Um, 
And so, you know, at the end of the concert and the show, uh, Metallica stated they'd be back, but they didn't necessarily say where. So, you know, obviously with the internet, you keep tabs on that. And they even had an Orion app that, you know, you could download to your phone that, that outlines the festival and the ongoings, you know, set lists, et cetera. And so we get an alert that, hey, they're actually going um, just outside of Detroit called Bellow, um, Michigan. It, it, I mean, you basically can see Canada from where the concert was. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we made the commitment. We said, there's no way we're passing this up. And this concert, there wasn't that hook like Metallica is going to play both nights. But what they did is they unveiled a lot more bands that were sort of the bands that we like the first one it was really about metallica and you had one band other band that stood out the rest of them it was just the fun of seeing this whole experience um but in the second one they did it up even bigger um they had james hetfield's car he did his own car show there um kirk hammett did his he's a big horror film guy so yeah, they did the all of evil right when he brought the festival show out for the first time Exactly, and you could go through and check all of his um, horror stuff, which you know I love around the uh, Halloween time, the the horror flicks. So I mean, that was also a cool little add-on. And then Metallica surprised us. So we're sitting on the it would have been the first day. We just gotten there maybe about an hour or two ahead of time, and uh, Dropkick Murphys was playing on the main stage. Oh man, yeah, which was really cool because that's another band that never had the chance to see and always listen to um and so in like at about the middle maybe towards the end of their set they announced hey there's this band that's uh unannounced um and they named it dehan um they're getting ready to play right now i don't know if we should tell you this but it's metallica and metallica proceeded to play kill em all from front to back all the way through on a special set at a small stage so it was just such a cool experience going to those Orion festivals and, and regretfully they're, they're not pursuing them as of right now due to uh, financial related concerns with the tour. But it's one of those once in a lifetime deals that I could say, man, I was there for both of them and they both were awesome. Yeah. I, and I think that's amazing, man. And um, like, and Bob, he actually picked me up uh, the Dillinger escape plans, new CD and t-shirt. At uh, the second festival, which I still appreciate, man. I uh, both of those get get heavy rotation still to this. Oh, day. for sure. Um, but so you know, and I find it well. You know, we'll come back to that point because we we could go off on this tangent here because you know we're both Metallica fans. And did I tell you about the box set? I, I got the Ride the Lightning box set on Record Store Day. Yeah, which totally jealous of. So oh, yeah, okay. I remember you sent me, I think, an Instagram uh, uh, message yeah, with it. I'm like, oh, nice. <laughs> yep, that's right. I did. Oh yeah, yep. I'm so excited when I got that. Um, yep. Okay, but anyway, so um, back to the Tower Records thing for a minute, because this kind of still, and honestly, even talking about Metallica ties into the whole discussion with art here. But so, something that really hit home for me during that documentary is when they're talking to the one lady, and I think she's the one who said that she was like the first girl that really worked at Tower, started out behind the counter, and just kept moving up. But um, when she looks at the camera, she's like, "Well, this was during the Hookers and Blow era." Yep. And <laughs> yep. And and that just that really struck a chord with me because I mean, you know, I just I just said like I'm going to be 45 here in December. I am very, I'm very unaware of my surroundings. At sometimes I just kind of like you know float through things and like there are times I'm very hyper aware. There's other times where I'm like ah whatever people are doing what they're doing. But I mean, hookers and blow that was totally like the late 70s, early 80s. 
You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the Miami Vice era. That's the the real era of excess. And watching watching that Tower Records documentary, like it it was a roller coaster ride through the rise and fall of just the music industry. I mean, if you think about like where the re- the record industry and the music industry itself started, I mean, you know, you had what Johnny Cash and Elvis making these little one off recordings at Sun Records that became these mammoth, mammoth, huge, um, you know, se- selling records. I mean, there's a picture, because um, I was just in Memphis um, earlier this year, and they have a picture of Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis, Carl Perkins, who's the other guy? One more guy. Oh, Johnny Cash. And they call it the Million Dollar Quartet, right? And that was an yeah. after-hours recording and, and just all sort of stuff because it was just such a big deal. But it was like, those guys were really the first real rock stars, right? And then you yep. get get the Beatles in in the sixties, and that just blows the doors off. Then by the end of the sixties, you have this this little known guy named Jimi Hendrix coming out, and he sets the entire guitar playing community on its ear. So everything you knew up to up to this point has now all changed. And so then you just see this insane rush of talent of creativity. Um, because I mean, like you know, th- you think about like Hendrix's album covers, like they were very psychedelic in the artwork. They were taking risks, risks, and all that sort of stuff. And then from Hendrix, you know, we end up with Motorhead, and Motorhead's what gives us Metallica. But at the same time, you know, you have guys that went the other way with Hendrix. You know, they're big country fans. So all this music starts coming out, and you see that in the story of Tower Records, and that's what blew me away. Is like. Everything that was happening in the record industry, like the things that we saw like in the tabloids, were simultaneously happening with that one record chain, and that blew my mind. Yeah, and I mean, for those that don't realize how big of a deal it was, one of the main superstars, I mean, one of the gods of music, period, that are still alive, Elton John, was the biggest fan of Tower Records, and he did a lot of interview um, within that you know, just they even had a clip where they showed him actually shopping. He's picking three records out at a time. And, um, you know, towards the end, when they get to the demise period of it, he said it was one of the worst days, of not only his musical life, but his life. I mean, that's how big of a deal that Tower Records was. And it, it really, to me, it was great um, showing the way the music industry changed. Uh, right around the early 2000s and when technology really started becoming at the forefront. And um, yeah, it was just such a a big deal. And and to your point as well, all those groups that you talked about, they did a great job of showing like how they changed music. So to your point, um, when Tower Records really start blowing up and starting to make that transition from a West Coast operation where they started to venture east to Arizona, and then eventually they show um their journey into japan and they were really one of the first american companies to go really over there and and run in japan like they did um they signified albums like sergeant peppers from the uh the beatles and pet sounds by the beach boys as a turning point and then you see as they segue they do a real nice arc where they show okay there was a boom period and then they showed the first drop off and that's when disco started happening and you had uh, music execs coming and talking about you know how um, radio station formats changed. They went heavy to disco, and there was a real downturn in the music industry sales. 
And then they did a nice job of showing, okay, where did the upswing occur? And that's when they talked about Michael Jackson's Thriller album. Yep. And then they also talked about the advent of the CDs. And that's when Tower Records sort of boomed up to its highest point is like, like we talked about earlier yeah. is when Russ Solomon, the owner said, we're going head first into CDs and they rode that wave and they were at the forefront of it. So people almost equated CDs and music to tower records. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know what killed me at the end of that documentary? The fact that Japan still has 85 tower record stores. Yeah. And, and they showed Dave Grohl. Uh, do you remember the part where Dave Grohl yeah. was, I guess, on tour? He's like, they have a Tower Records. I mean, it's it's still it's still something that musicians, especially, obviously, if they see it, they're going to go to it. And like you said, Japan's at the forefront, and they're still running the way that they did apparently back in the boom period of the CDs, which shows that there is still um, an outlet for uh, CDs and record stores. Um, my opinion, though, is it'll never, ever be the same like it was in the, you know, I'd say mid 90s to early 2000s. I don't think it's ever going to get to that point again. I, you know what? And I, I think you're right. But at the same time, I think there's we're on a new resurgence. And part of it is because of, I, I think, the return of vinyl, because vinyl gives us the art. Right. And and that's yep. that's that's really what I want to discuss with you, because, I mean, you have your graphic art background, you know, and especially coming up in the CD area. I came up in the album era, so all the art that I looked at was was the nice big, you know, the twelve inch record, right? Yep. Iron Maiden's "Live After Death," greatest album cover ever for me. <laughs> Just the double album talked about on the last episode. Sat there looking at the booklet, looking at the album, studying everything about that artwork. So. How how much do you think that graphics really impact the band? I mean, you you, you kind of started to make a case um, about it earlier for for Brad's band. So so, what are your thoughts on on how 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 the graphics can make and break a band in today's market? Yeah. So and that's that's a great point. I think your last two words are the most important, and it's today's market. So I'm like you. Uh, you know, my dad was being an album, so I always saw albums around, and that's how he primarily played. Uh, his music and then he rode the wave of cds and then that's when i got into music so i was just like you sometimes i would buy the album you know one that comes right off the top of my head is offspring smash i mean it's that video of almost like the x-ray skeleton and yep. I, I can't say i was really ever into offspring but i you know, was able to go listen to a song and bought the album pretty much based off of that album cover um, and I was big into reading um, the inserts. A lot of time you got the lyrics, so you understood exactly what was being said. And you, you learn different things about the band, and you can actually put a face to the band because at that point, internet wasn't really there. So you were able to visually see who you're listening to. Um, right, to that to point, me, for, for me, yep. um, Poison, look what the cat dragged in. I remember standing in the back of Kmart in Cranberry Township with that album flipped over on the back and you, you know, when you say, you know, you can see who you're listening to. They had the four pictures of the four guys. And I'm like, looking at it going, I thought they were guys. Why are there girls in the back of this record cover? Right. Yep. I, yep. I, I totally did not get the glam thing going on at the time. So, 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 you know, you might see them, you still might not realize it's them. Anyway, keep, keep rolling, man. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny too. Cause I, I think, really i think i remember having a poison cassette tape when unskinny bop was a hit so oh, yeah. i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> you're like is are these dudes what is going on here and trying to equate to it but um 
See, I, I really think a lot of bands formed their identity uh, uh, through graphics. I mean, there's so many cover albums. I mean, to me, Metallica, Kill 'Em All, um, Pantera, Vulgar Display of Power. I mean, those are some of the ones that, that come out you know right off the top. But, so, and, and Vulgar I, Display of Power, let's talk about that one for a minute. That one has been redone by a comic book artist. Um, did you see when they did, they took the, the still of Ronda Rousey um, when, when she <laughs> defeated that girl and, and basically made it look like the Vulgar Display of Power? Yep. Like, yep. Like, it's, 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 it's such an iconic cover. I mean, people that aren't even into Pantera recognize that album cover. Yeah, and I, and I think I think it was recently I, I visit uh, loudwire.com and every once in a while they do uh, like top 25 album covers or, or things along that nature. And one of the stories was about how many times they actually l- hit that dude to get the perfect shot. So, oh I mean, goodness. he took a few blows Jeez. to make that shot happen. But you, you figure it's an iconic cover. I mean, everybody that knows anything about either Pantera or heavy music knows exactly what album cover we're talking about. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, and, and that's where I sort of go back to your point where you said today's market. So today's market, not a lot of people are, uh, I don't want to say a lot of people, but they're not buying the CDs and albums. Like you said, vinyls coming back. It's almost like what's old is new again, but you have most consumers. And I remember listening to your last podcast where a lot of people said, I just listen to Spotify and I'm just like that. So to me, th- that, that takes the visuals in a different direction. And I actually, uh, I know we were talking earlier today uh, about a different documentary, but I, I had a quote from Rob Halford. I'm like, Oh, this is genius. It fits exactly what we're going to talk about. And one of his quotes was when they came up with how Judas priest came to be and, and what they were going for, he had a quote where he said, it's one thing to have the music, but another thing to have the visuals so that everyone around the planet can connect and go, yeah, that's it. The way that that looks is representative of the music. Yeah. So that's where I was like, oh, that, that changes it because I don't think it's so much more about the art of the album cover. You have, definitely want to have a theme, I think, to the album cover so it relates to what the, the CD is actually saying or the music saying. But I think you have to have a visual identity, whether it be a logo or a stage presence or your merchandising, because really where bands are making their money now is on tour. So you need to almost have something if you don't have that set in uh, audience that will come see you no matter what you do. Uh, a visual is important. And, and there, are, there are definitely bands out there in one way or another today that are big without necessarily having to bank on CD or album sales they get the consumer to go to their show and they're buying things like their merchandise or they're going on and and if they are streaming music, they're streaming with more frequency uh, and follow those bands as, you know, they go on tour. So I think visuals and graphics are still a huge part. It's just in a different avenue than just your CD and album covers these days, especially with, you know, the web. You have to have some sort of web presence to do anything. So you need to have that web presence almost act like your CD cover because the person going there is going to say, is what I'm seeing actually what I'm listening to? How do I equate that? And that's where that's where I think the graphics and visuals are these days. Okay, so to that point, two bands that come to mind right away that do that visual image thing very well, Slipknot and Upon a Burning Body. Two, and two completely different visuals, but I think they do the visual very well. 
Yep. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely speak to Slipknot. I mean, that's one of my favorite bands. I mean, like I said, that was right when I started getting into heavy music. They come along in 99. And, and I remember, so just getting into metal, like I said, and, and I'm going to my first metal concert. It's OzFest 99 in Pittsburgh. Oh, and man. I, I mean, it's just, one. yeah, it's a completely stacked lineup. So you had bands. Uh, like Black Sabbath, Rob Zombie, Deftones, one of my favorites, if not my favorites. You had Slayer, System of a Down. And you get to the second stage, and we got there right at the beginning. We're young teenagers. We want to experience it all because this is totally new to all of us. There was four of us that went. And we're sitting on the hillside and don't know what the heck to expect. And out of nowhere comes this band called Slipknot. And visually it was you just sat there and you're like wow what am i looking at and then they played the music and at that time it was if not the heaviest thing i've I've ever listened to and there's what nine of them on this small stage in the back of a hillside at pittsburgh and that was the hook right there all four of us went home and that's when they used to hand out you know the little singles with like you know the main signal uh single and then like maybe four other versions of, of different songs yeah. and instantly i was hooked and that's the visual i talk about it not only did they play aggressive heavy music that the crowd was going wild mosh pits everywhere but visually that's something that stuck with you and i've been a fan ever since and that's that's something that not a lot of people are willing to do and now they're one of the biggest bands in metal period and something you point out about that is them coming up with, with, with that visual and especially where they're performing. Like I came up with the, uh, the Warp Tour era and, um, well, I didn't actually know before Warp Tour, what was the big one? Lollapalooza. Now it's a, you know, yep. one day festival or a few day festival, but, um, Slipknot, especially the way you're describing it reminds me of the Jim Rose circus sideshow had they actually played instruments. Right, and, nice. and and that's what that's what Slipknot was. I mean, you've got these crazy masks. They're all doing insane things. Whether they're playing anything, beating on a drum, you know, jumping around, dancing, you know, doing something to their masks or whatever. Just you had all these visual things. It was almost like like if Guar put on a Cirque du Soleil. That's that's Slipknot, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's a great point because uh, last year I went to. Uh, see them play the same location but of course they're the main act so they're playing the main stage and this was the first time i've seen them since they released iowa so we're talking 14 15 years maybe wow okay and um that's what their show was it was almost like a, a circus type background but they had the fire shooting everywhere the lights going everywhere uh, the two percussionists, you know, they were on almost like hydraulic, you know, machines where they're going up and down and it just hooked me right back into, man, I'm that big fan again. And, you know, I'm actually going back with my brother again, uh, next month. So, I mean, that's one of those types of bands. Anytime they're in Pittsburgh, they have our money because, we both left that show going, man, that was an awesome show. Sometimes it's great just to go and listen to a band, but when you get that full on, you know, visual display that matches beat for beat, the music, that's one of those ones that sticks out and, and you're instantly looking to go back again. So, I mean, 
you know, that's sort of the change in, in dynamics, I think, from, you know, just the CD cover to some bands take it to the nth degree with their visuals uh, on stage. And, and it hooks in not only those longtime fans, but the ones that they might be seeing this for the first time. And, and more than likely, they've hooked you at that point. Yeah, and I have to hand it to Slipknot because that first record was absolutely amazing. Had they not looked the way that they looked it was still an amazing record. The visuals helped sell it. And I think was what kind of cemented them into your mind. Because like when I think about a band like Guar that I've seen live twice now, right? And I don't know if you've ever gotten to see Guar, but anybody who hasn't gotten to see Guar, see them at least once, even, even the new lineup. I can, I can speak to, to that here later, but, um, like Guar, they're they they're probably the most outrageous of all the visuals I think that I've ever seen, and the shows just you know the fake blood from the minute the the first chord starts and just the outrageous stage performance and stuff that they do, but them and their music kind of are like a caricature, you know what I mean? Like they they try to be real life comic book characters. The music is like almost over the top cheesy. They kind of stayed in in that the hair metal kind of kind of poking fun. And like, um, oh, geez, what was the band? Was it Except that did turn up the radio? Like, they almost kind of poked fun at that kind of like 80s hair metal radio anthem kind of stuff. But they would yep. write horrible lyrics to it, you know? Yep. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It, it, there, there, was, there was a hook to them. There wasn't just – you might not like their music or you might not, not even understand what they're about. But if you saw them – it's almost like Kiss. You, you know exactly what band that is, and that's the way that you brand yourself, and, and you 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 have yourself a presence. You're not just like every band that's out there. There's something different about you. Yeah, and speaking of Kiss, I think Kiss has had the makeup on longer the second time than the first time. I would probably agree with that, actually, because <laughs> I think like the first time they they because oh I can't I can't even believe like Rock would would tear me a new one right now for not even knowing this, but so the first Kiss record. Was seventy? Was it seventy four? Valentine's Day seventy four? No, I believe. I believe, and I'll, I'll be honest. I'm yeah. not a, a huge fan of their music, but I know exactly who they are and what they're about. You know, so <laughs> musically, I, I can't say I know them, but y- you just know them. I mean, their look is it's it crosses you know different types of music. So yeah. And I mean, even when they took the makeup off in the 80s, and again, me being a huge Kiss fan, right? So I think they, they the first time they would have worn it probably less than a decade. Then when the 80s hit, there was like, okay, so time to do something new. They were still huge and visual. And I mean, when you would go see them in concert, what cemented it for me is like, you had albums like Asylum, very bright colors, or the animalized with, with the patterns. And then they would dress... And this is kind of what I miss, I, I think, for for some bands. But we're seeing some some bands kind of kind of bring it back. But like, Kiss would dress for whatever the theme was of that album for the entire tour. Yeah, right? and 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 that yep. and I appreciate that. You know what? And Slipknot does that too. You know, because if you think about it, the masks change not drastically, but the masks change with the album. Yep, it's it's definitely they they try to adapt to the theme of the album. So, yeah, I I, I bet not even with a new album not even coming out, there's going to be a slight change to the mass this time when we see them than what we saw last year. It's just a way to 
just give the fans something different because you, you don't necessarily want to be the same. And not saying that bands like Slipknot, Kiss, etc., are the only types of bands that are great to see live. There's other ways that you can visually, you know, attract and tie into the music. But those are the types of bands that made a commitment to being different. And, and it paid off for them because they're some of the biggest bands in the past 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, like I, I, the music could stand by itself because like I'll give an example and I, I will probably be ostracized from the um, Western Pennsylvania area here, but they are from Cleveland. So I think most of Pittsburgh will forgive me, but <laughs> mushroom head, right? Like mm -hmm. those guys, um, you know, and, and if, if you listen to those guys, they'll tell you that Roadrunner approached them, offered them a terrible deal. They turned it down and then Slipknot came out, right? That's their story. But when I listen to mushroom head, they've got some cool masks. I don't like the music at all. There's nothing interesting there for me. Yeah. And I, and I'm the same as you. I tried to give it a go because you see this band and you're like, Oh, well they must play music just like this band over here that I'm really into. And yeah, that see, and you bring up a great point. You can have the look, but if your music's not that good, you're just going to sort of be a, a sort of a flat line. You're going to be an after note in, and they came around too in that boom period of, you know, that, I guess it's determined as new metal where the CD sales exploded. They were right there and you don't hear them having the same type of success. And to your point, it's because the music wasn't good, period. I, I can totally agree with that point. Yeah, it just didn't do anything for me. All right. So now I have a question for you. Um, what's an album that you bought solely on the album cover and did it match what you expected? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll give you a more recent one. So, like I said earlier, and I mentioned probably my favorite uh, band, uh, one that I listen to all the time is the Deftones. Um, I just like they're a mix of the heavy and almost like atmospheric type music, and they're killer to see live. Um, so, uh, becoming such a fan of those, you start learning about their side projects, and the lead singer Chino. Um, was doing a side project called crosses but it's the the title of the band's not crosses spelled out c-r-o-s-s-e-s -S -S -E they're actually three crosses and what it symbolizes is the three main members of the band there's um uh, and what they did and i think the cover was like a blue a pink and a yellow it was this black album cover with these like almost like pastel cover uh colored crosses and so I was like, you know what, I'm a fan of Chino. I'm going to get this uh, album and popped it in, and it was great. It was more of like the atmospheric type of Deftones type music, which is a great sort of a difference from the, the straight heavy stuff that they do on, on a lot of their records. Um, and so I bought the album, and it matched the feel. And of course, you do reading on it just to get an understanding of what he's going for. But then... Um, they came through uh, to tour at a local place called Alter Bar in Pittsburgh. And for those of you that aren't from Pittsburgh or may have never been to Alter Bar, it's basically a converted church that they made a concert venue. And it's a beautiful hall. It sounds great. It looks great. It's a little creepy sometimes, but it, it's beautiful. Yep. Yep. And that's where like everything sort of sunk in because it was a perfect place for them as their first tour as this band to play. So they're in this church. I mean, <laughs> basically where the main sermon area of the churches is where they put the stage so you had these stained glass windows around it and they have a bar towards the back left that me and my friend um said hey we're gonna have a few beers and, and get ready to listen to this and 
all their set was was they had the band members and right behind the drummer like sort of elevated was the three crosses and you know they they had a light show that synchronized with uh, most of the music and to me i'm like vision i'm like this is exactly what i would expect it to be it's not they're not anything about christ or religion or anything like that but the visuals that they tried to communicate fit so perfectly with that venue and the music just was it was over the top so i i left there saying like they're communicating exactly the way they want to both in uh their album art their logo and as well as their live show i thought it was it was amazing and and I'm a fan of theirs. Now it's a side project, so it's not something he's going to release as frequently as maybe the Deftones music, but anytime he releases music, I mean, that's where they hook me in, and that's one of the newer bands that I've gotten into in the past couple of years. That's cool. That's cool. So you ready for mine? Yes. Nashville Pussy. Oh, that's a... <laughs> I think I did see them once in an X-Fest uh, back in the day, so I know exactly what you're talking about. So I'd, I'd heard nothing about them, because I mean... You know, th- this is this is like the the late '90s, right? So we're talking somewhere between '98, '99. I was in my band at the time, and um, I was still frequenting record stores all the time, right? So I go in, and I'd read about them in magazines, but you couldn't. I mean, there was no YouTube, there was no Napster yet, there was really no streaming sites. MP3.com was barely operational, and you're not going to find music on the internet if you know if you don't buy it or the re- radio station didn't play it. You had no idea what you were what you were getting. So I go in, I hear about this band, I've been reading about them, and the album is wrapped in like foil that you can't see through, right? Because the nice. uncover is supposed to be so explicit that they just can't show this, right? Because that that's still when the PMRC was making a big stink of stuff, you know? Because I mean, yep. the PMRC and record labeling all through the '90s, it's like 2000 hit, and they just gave up the ghost. They're like, yeah, you know what? Okay, we're we're done with this. It's been a decade. I'm out. But um, you know they're still making a big deal of this. So I'm like, okay, I, I really want to, like, you know, now I'm really curious. I'm like, what album cover could be that bad? Because I mean, at this point in my life, I've seen every Cannibal Corpse album album cover. <laughs> That's a great, yeah, great point. There. You know, so I want to know what is so bad that they can't have it out. Because beside that, a few, you know, a, a few letters down, I can see slowly we rot with obituary. I can see, um, oh, geez, I Come Blood was the song, but it wasn't the Oh, album. my God. Yeah, so you know where I'm going, right, with, with Cannibal Corpse. Yep. Like, you know, I, I have my yep. death metal background there. and um, But, I mean, so, so like, that's some of the most disgusting, disturbing images I've ever seen in my life. And, and honestly, and you brought up the, uh, the Extreme Metal episode of Metal Evolution. I started watching that today, and they're showing so that the album cover, oh, my goodness, I, which, which was the band? Uh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about because they made a big deal about having like dead bodies on the album yes, cover. Yes, that one. I, yep, yep. So it's like, so that stuff, that's the stuff that I've been seeing, right? And so I get the album cover home, and really it's just the two girls. They're not naked, and they, they basically have the guy's heads shoved into their crotch. I've, I've seen worse. Yep. You know, and I mean, if you think about some of the early album covers, I think that I've seen worse on like album covers in the 60s. Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, so like, so I, I, so I see the album cover. Now, I do appreciate just how crazy, crazy they were because, you know, um, the bass player at the time, Corey Parks, she's the one that had like what to me looked like the, the Harley logo tattooed across her stomach. It was like the angel wings and stuff. 
and um, she would she would spit fire. So I put this in, and it was just you know, good old rock and roll, raunchy punk rock and roll kind of stuff. And and it took me a while to get into it because they built it up so much more with the imagery, and just none none of it gelled for me in my mind. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And and like now, like you know, like I I dig them. I still couldn't tell you a single song that um, that they do, but I'm still very aware of the band. I still follow where they do. Do I think that um, Ryder says is a great guitar player, and I can't remember her husband's name, but like I I love that guitar duo, you know. And I I really love what they what they do. Like I can you know I've heard them. I couldn't like I couldn't tell you a single song because it just. I don't even think I could really describe it effectively because it's just messed with my mind so much. Like nothing matched up, you know. <laughs> but see now what we're 16, 17 years later and you still remember it. So, I mean, that's the effect that, you know, they plant this visual in your head. And sometimes, like you said, you might not remember anything else about the band. You remember how their music sounds, but you remember how it looks visually. And that that's... That's something that uh, not every uh, musical artist or band can say. So, I mean, it's, that's that's the type of impact that graphics can have to correlate with the music that you're listening to. That's a great point, and and I think I like for me, like I have actually missed the graphic era because I mean, I, you figure I think once 2000 hit, we really fell off. Like album covers weren't weren't what they were cd sales weren't they where they were you weren't seeing the focus on on those sort of things i mean think about oh was it um what was the second britney spears record was it toxic i think so yeah so you know and yeah like for the listeners yes we seriously just referenced cannibal corpse and now we're talking about britney spears we have done that much of a 180 but um so that britney spears record which i did love like i thought it was a great record terrible album cover I couldn't even tell you what was on the album cover. I, that one, I can remember more about the music than I remember about the album cover. It was just kind of like, ah, that's, that's it. Like, it just, again, it didn't, for me, it didn't say enough about how good the album was. Like, I think that's one of her best records, that second one, you know? Yep. And and that's a, that's the type of music that dominated uh, around that time. So I think, uh, in all honesty, I, I think that record labels could get away and just say, well, she's a guaranteed multi-million seller we don't need to put much more on it than it's from Britney Spears and it's probably going to sell. So I want to say there was almost a laziness to it because they're probably thinking, why do we have to necessarily go over and above for this? It's not, it's not going to sell it anymore or any less. She's already got a guaranteed um, fan base. And, and that's, and then that sort of was the segue to where Napster into the digital age came where, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, not many people are, preferring to go the purchasing of cds or anything like that when i could look on spotify and say oh i didn't know that they released this new album sweet i already got it i'm good to go i mean that's uh, that's that's where the where i mentioned earlier i think the the graphic and the visual change from what you hold in your hand to what you're seeing on the web or what you're seeing in person when you're tour or maybe shopping for merchandise i think that's where the the focus has moved to as far as visually representing what a band is about. It's, and to that point, do you ever get disappointed when you go to the t-shirt, t- like the, the t-shirt booth or whatever at the concerts? Cause like I, I, and maybe I'm just old fashioned, but I still love getting the t-shirt. If I'm going to buy a CD, I would like to buy it at the show, especially if it's a young band that I know these guys are going to be selling the CDs themselves. 
But like, yeah. I'll go, I'll go like to, to look at a, a t-shirt for a concert and I'll be like, that's it. That's the best you can do. Cause I mean, yeah, like, it's pretty much just like the word of the band on it. And yeah. maybe like a few tour dates, it's like, and you're going to charge me 35 bucks. Really? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> right. Because, and, and the thing is like, you know, you, you show me so much with Photoshop and, and really gave me the basics and, and things. I'm like, okay, so if I, cause did I show you what I did with the Beatles album cover? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I will have to send that to you cause I'm pretty proud of that. So, um, one of my coworkers, she's a really good sport. And so when, um, when I have downtime and because I mean, you, you know how, how the job goes, like you're either slammed busy or there's nothing going on. So when there's nothing going on, you take advantage of it and get involved in everything that's going on. Like all the stuff that you wanted to do or wanted to do for development, you know, because we're supposed to have self-development time. But so I would take, I'd sit down and I'd mess with Photoshop. So, I got this woman to pose with me and I recreated uh, the Beatles Abbey Road. Like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I had somebody go in and, and shoot us. Like, we positioned ourselves exactly the way the album cover was. And it was just like, and, and then I, I just had to cut it out and learn how to blend. And I'm like, if I can do that with zero training, and, and I mean, I'm not, certainly not telling you guys it's perfect, but like I have no training and you know how much I struggle just to figure out small things in Photoshop. Cause I'm still, you know, contacting all the time for that stuff. Um, you can't tell me that they can't find an artist that can make a killer t-shirt with today's technology between what we have for just design technology and then printing technology. You cannot tell me that we shouldn't have some amazing graphics on these shirts. Yeah, I mean, that should be almost a given. I mean, even if you're going to do something simplistic, like where it maybe is just wording or your band's name or something. Like, I remember when I went to Orion, you said, hey, pick me up the Dillinger Escape Plan CD and a shirt. I bought you that one uh, Dillinger Escape Plan where it was like the, the bars at the end of like the escape and, and then plan portion of it. Yep. And it just visually looks cool. And it's nothing more than text and lines, but you can make that type of stuff work and it looks just awesome. You just, I mean, yeah, to your point, I could go on Adobe Illustrator. I don't even have to go to Photoshop and make a sweet looking shirt that looks just like the Dillinger Escape Plan. Or I could go in and, okay, what, you know, like for uh, instance, a Ryan Festival t shirt, the second time I got one. And it was just a cool little skull with the Metallica logo on the front. And then they did like a cool typeface for uh, the band information and who was playing at the show. And it's a shirt I wear all the time, whether I'm at the gym or just sitting around my house. It's just a cool shirt. And like you said, technology today, there's no reason you can self-teach yourself. You just spend a couple hours online just learning or, you know, like we've done, we've partnered on different projects for work. Yeah. You learn by what other people know and don't know. So exactly. you might know something about it that I don't know. And I've maybe been doing it for 10 years, but you show me that one thing. Hey, I did it this way. You learn and you should be able to produce something that at least visually looks cool and not lazy for $35 on a t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. You know what? And like, I think what I liked about the Dillinger plan escape plan shirt is that that one reminded me of Black Flag because I've always been a fan of the Black Flag bars. Again, simple design, clean, but just look cool. And they kind of did that with making their logo. It kind of has the bars, which is a little bit of an homage, I think, but it kind of looks like a flag at the same time. But tying this forward to Metallica, and I think we'll, we'll wrap the topic up up here, is for me, like 
not necessarily album cover wise. Like I think my probably my all time favorite uh, album cover that Metallica did was Puppets. Like just yeah, I, I think that just the, it looks cool. The picture really means something, you know. Like there's there's so much going on in that picture, but outside of that, Metallica's use of imagery, like you'd said, the T-shirt with the cool skull. Like I got their um their oh like the the fan club shirt this year, or I think it was last year's shirt actually because they were selling them cheap, and it's a super cool skull. Um, I bought the Metallica baseball that has like the little scary guy on it. Like they do some of the best imagery, and they they've like their t-shirts like those those shirts were 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 just you know out of this world and they would use um who's the artist pushead like yep. like and i i love that guy like like pushead art like i uh somewhere i don't have it i haven't unpacked it yet but i actually have a print of the the misfits hand picture he did with like the skull in the hand that's one of my favorite uh, that's prints cool. ever yep. yeah you know and so, so like they they were a band that really got the art outside of the album cover like like it wasn't just, you know, like put on the album cover. It was, it was like let's, you know, let let's make a theme, and they've they've really kept it. If you think about it, like visually, they've always had some sort of art that's reminiscent of the Pusshead art, even if it's not Pusshead making it. Yep. Oh no, exactly. I mean, you can say what you want about you know once they release Load and Reload, but if you remember back to those days. I mean, they sort of changed their logo where it was the four M's that were intertwined and it sort of made almost like a, I don't know if a star is the best way to say it, but that logo, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, say what you will about those albums. I still think there's great songs on there. Is it like their older stuff? No, but visually they changed and adapted and they made uh, a logo that they could put on anything and it's going to sell because it's metallic and even up to Death Magnetic, their latest one. You know, the picture of like the coffin with almost like, I don't want to say lightning bolts, but that type of frenetic energy around it. I think to them, they're saying, you know, look, we, you might have thought we were dead after saying anger, but they came back to the old thrash metal look and it just rejuvenated their career. And that's when Orion, you know, came a few years later. And I mean, they were right back to being the biggest metal band possibly in history outside of your Black Sabbaths and your Deep Purples and, and going to the originators of it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and um, to your to your point with um, with like how they've how they've adapted the logo, I think one of my favorite Metallica logos outside of the original Masters of Puppets logo because that's the one that I drew on every book cover on every class that I ever took in high school. But when they've uh, more recently gone to the racing stripe one, so it's kind of like the the M in the circle with the racing stripes through it. Yep. Yep. I know exactly which one you're talking about. That that's an example of like understanding your image and being able to blend it with something cool. Because I mean, you know, and and you know, tying it back to to what we said earlier in the show, you'd said that James had brought his cars with him to that second Orion Festival in Detroit. Well, he's he's a big motorhead, right? Like he he does the custom car clubs. Like he actually like builds his own vehicles and stuff like that. And he took that style. And they were able to merge it with you know that that same Metallica logo from the '80s and come up with something even cooler visually, in my in my opinion, you know. Yep, and they know how to adapt with the times, regardless of what you say about them. Or, I mean, they know how to adapt and keep themselves relevant. And I mean, they could tour. I mean, they did. They toured Antarctica for God's sake. I mean, they could go anywhere and fill out a show. I mean, that that's you know 
their whole history, there was some visual accompaniment to what they did, regardless if it was the video for one, which totally told the story of that, that song all the way through Enter Sandman. I mean, they knew how to do it. I know Lars is a big, um, artsy movie uh, type guy. Cause one of his, um, parts of the Orion festival was he did uh, theater showings of different the, uh, uh, theater works that, that he's been a part of. So, I mean, he understands it and, you know, he's probably right at the forefront of making sure they're visually relevant as they uh, release new music and, and try to keep themselves relevant. Have you seen the video of that Antarctica show? I have. Yeah. I, I, I always check two websites all the time for my music and they had a clip of, or no, I actually think they had the full show available for the Antarctica show, which was crazy. It, it was awesome. I mean, how cool is that? Well, I, I watched it and I want to let you know, cause I don't think we've talked since I figured this out. Uh, the Met club, the Metallica club is now free. And so this, this goes to all, all the listeners, everybody there, right? Cause um, it used to be, I think it was what, 55 bucks a year and they do the fan can and that sort of stuff. So they've now opened it up free, and once you join, one of the exclusives is you do get to download the uh, Antarctica Freeze Them All, like kind of little mini documentary on the show. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Dude, it's killer. Like, you got to check it out. All right. So, Bob, it's um, we're approaching the hour here, so I think we're about on target. Um, thank you again for coming on the show tonight. I really appreciate this. Yeah, man, it was great. I know I, I bugged you a few times to be a part of this, so it's a pleasure. Uh, always enjoy talking music, regardless if it's at work or <laughs> on your podcast, um, which I'm a big supporter of. So, you know, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and and check out what Aaron's doing. It's 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 great to support people that are trying to do something different and speaking their mind on what they're passionate about. Well, thanks, man. All right, so listeners, so I know the last couple episodes have been a departure from the gear and things, but I have said that uh, this is called Signal to Noise because that way it's anything I want to talk about. And I'm also very passionate about the music industry. Like having been somebody that started as a young musician and wanted to make my career as a musician in the music industry, like these things, these topics really fascinate me. And that's why I've had on, you know, Bruce and Mike and those guys um, on the last show and now Bob on, the, on this one. Um, so I'm going to be talking about some gear stuff. I, I've got a few things planned, actually a lot of stuff planned if I can ever clean up this office. Um, but you guys might be noticing a few changes. So all... 30, well, when this comes out, all 34 episodes of this podcast will be available in iTunes for the first time in probably three years now. Um, I've been changing my podcast hosting, so things are kind of changing. Um, oh, Bob, I think to tell you, check this out. So I changed my hosting, and uh, now I can see my downloads and kind of get statistics on you know, where they're going to. So, um, Bob, you, you right now, you're talking to the David Hasselhoff of podcasting because apparently I am huge in Germany. All right. Well, hey, my heritage is German and Irish, so we're there, we're simpatico right now. I know German and Welsh right here, man. So, and it's it, like I just had to chuckle because I mean, obviously, like it's it's the first as as the feed is reshifting. I'm sure it's just stuff kind of you know rehitting and downloading because they had a subscription that sort of stuff. But more than fifty percent of the downloads were going to Germany last that I checked, and I just had to chuckle about that one. But so, uh, signaltonoise.fm is the website. At SGNL, the number two NZ for Twitter and Instagram. Twitter and Instagram are still where I'm the most active, um, as you know, Bob pointed out, because that's where he was talking to me, it was over Instagram. So uh, check me out, check out the show, go back and listen to the old episodes. 
things that you like, things that you want to hear, hit me up on Twitter. Tell me what's going on. And until next time, make some noise. 